Chapter Ten, Part One of Pointed Roofs by Dorothy Richardson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section One. Towards the end of June, there were frequent excursions. Into all the gatherings at Waldstrasse, the outside world came like a presence. It removed the sense of pressure, of being confronted and challenged. Everything that was said seemed to be incidental to it like remarks dropped in a low tone between individuals at a great conference. Miriam wondered again and again whether her companions shared this sense with her. Sometimes when they were all sitting together she longed to ask, to find out, to get some public acknowledgment of the magic that lay over everything. At times it seemed as if, could they all be still for a moment, it must take shape. It was everywhere in the food, in the fragrance rising from the opened lid of the tea-urn, in all the needful unquestioned movements, the requests, the handings and thanks, the goings from room to room, the partings and assemblings. It hung about the fabrics and fittings of the house. Overwhelmingly it came in through oblongs of window giving on to stairways. Going upstairs in the light, pouring in from some uncurtained window, she would cease for a moment to breathe. Whenever she found herself alone she began to sing softly. When she was with others a head drooped or lifted, the movement of a hand, the light falling along the detail of a profile, could fill her with happiness. It made companionship a perpetual question. At rare moments there would come a tingling from head to foot, a faint buzzing at her lips, and at the tip of each finger. At these moments she could raise her eyes calmly to those about her and drink in the fact of their presence, see them all with perfect distinctness, but without distinguishing one from the other. She wanted to say, Isn't it extraordinary? Do you realize? She felt that if only she could make her meaning clear, all difficulties must vanish outside in the open going forward to some goal through sunny mornings gathering at inns wading through the scented undergrowth of the woods she would dream of the secure return to waldstrasse their own beleaguered place she saw it opening out warm and familiar back and back to the strange beginning in the winter they would be there again tonight, singing section two one morning she knew that there was going to be a change. The term was coming to an end. There was to be a going away. The girls were talking about Norderney. Going to Norderney, Handy? Jimmy said suddenly. Ah, she responded mysteriously. For the rest of that day she sat contracted and fearful. Section 3 you shall write and inquire of your good parents what they would have you do. You shall tell them that the German pupils return all to their homes, that the English pupils go for a happy holiday to the sea. Oh, yes, said Miriam conversationally, with trembling breath. It is, of course, evident that since you will have no duties to perform, I cannot support the expense of your travelling and your maintenance. Oh, no, of course not, said Miriam her hands pressed against her knee. She sat shivering in the warm, dim salle, shaded by the close sun-blinds. 
it looked as she had seen it with her father for the first time and fraulein sitting near seemed to be once more in the heavy panniered blue velvet dress she waited stiff and ugly till fraulein secure and summer-clad spoke softly again you think my child you shall like the profession of a teacher oh yes said miriam from the midst of a tingling flush i think you have many qualities that make the teacher you are earnest and serious-minded grave sometimes perhaps over-grave for your years but you have a serious fault which must be corrected if you wish to succeed in your calling miriam tried to pull her features into an easy inquiring seriousness a darkness was threatening her you have a most unfortunate manner without relaxing miriam quivered she felt the blood mount to her head you must adopt a quite quite different manner your influence is i think good a good english influence in its most general effect but it is too slightly so and of too much indirection you must exert it yourself in a manner more alive and you must make it your aim that you shall have a responsible influence a direct personal influence you have too much of chill and formality it makes a stiffness that i am willing to believe you do not intend miriam felt a faint dizziness if you should fail to become more genial more simple and natural as to your bearing you will neither make yourself understood nor will you be loved by your pupils no responded miriam assuming an air of puzzled and interested consideration of fraulein's words she was recovering she must get to the end of the interview and get away and find the answer far away beneath her fear and indignation fraulein was answered she must get away and say the answer to herself to truly fulfil the most serious role of the teacher you must enter into the personality of each pupil and must sympathize with the struggles of each one upon the path on which our feet are set efforts to good kindliness and thought for others must be encouraged the teacher shall be sunshine human sunshine encouraging all effort and all lovely things in the personality of the pupil fraulein rose and stood tall then her half-tottering decorous footsteps began miriam had hardly listened to her last words she felt tears of anger rising and tried to smile i shall say now no more but when you shall hear from your good parents we can further discuss our plans fraulein was at the door fraulein left the saal by the small door and miriam felt her way to the schoolroom the girls were gathering there ready for a walk some were in the hall and fraulein's voice was giving instructions machen sie schnell miss henderson she called fraulein had never before called to her like that it had always been as if she did not see her but assumed her ready to fall in with the general movements now it was fraulein calling to her as she might do to gertrude or solomon there was no hurried whisper from jimmy telling her to fly for her life ja fraulein she cried gaily and blundered towards the basement stairs mademoiselle was standing averted at the head of them miriam glanced at her 
Her face was red and swollen with crying. The sight amazed Miriam. She considered the swollen suffusion under the large black hat as she ran downstairs. She hoped Mademoiselle did not see her glance. Mademoiselle standing there all disfigured and blotchy about something. It was nothing. It couldn't be anything. If anyone were dead she would not be standing there. It was just some silly prim French quirk. Her dignity. Someone had been grossière. And there she stood in her black hat and black cotton gloves. Hurriedly putting on her hat and long lace scarf, she decided that she would not change her shoes. Somewhere out in the sunshine, a hurdy-gurdy piped out the air of Das du mich liebst, das ust ich. She glanced at the frosted barred window through which the dim light came into the dressing-room. The piping notes, out of tune, wrongly emphasized, slurring one into the other, followed her across the dark basement hall and came faintly to her as she went slowly upstairs. There was no hurry. Everyone was talking busily in the hall, drowning the sound of her footsteps. She had forgotten her gloves. She went back into the cool, grey, musty rooms. A little crack in an open pane shone like a gold thread. The barrel organ piped. As she stooped to gather up her gloves from the floor, she felt the cold stone firm and secure under her hand, and the house stood up all round her, with its rooms and the light lying along stairways and passages, and outside the bright hot sunshine, and the roadways leading in all directions out into Germany. How could Fräulein possibly think she could afford to go to Norderney? They would all go things would go on. She could not go there, nor back to England. It was cruel. Just torture and worry again. With the bright house all round her, the high rooms, the dark old pianos, strange old garret, the unopened door beyond it. No help anywhere. Section 4 As they walked, she laughed and talked with the girls responding excitedly to all that was said. They walked along a broad and almost empty boulevard, in two rows of four and five abreast, with Mademoiselle and Judy bringing up the rear. The talk was general, and there was much laughter. It was the kind of interchange that arose when they were all together, and there was something in the air, the kind that Miriam most disliked. She joined in it feverishly, it's perfectly natural that they should all be excited about the holidays, she told herself, stifling her thoughts. But it must not go too far. They wanted to be jolly. If I could be jolly too, they would like me. I must not be a wet blanket. Mademoiselle's voice was not heard. Miriam felt that the steering of the conversation might fall to anyone. Mademoiselle was extinguished. She must exert her influence. Presently she forgot Mademoiselle's presence altogether. They were all walking along very quickly. If she were going to Norderney with the English girls, she must be on easy terms with them. Aha, someone was saying. Oho, said Miriam in response. Ee-hee, came another voice. 
Tre-la-la, trilled Bertha Martin gently. You mean Tora-la-hi-ti, said Miriam. Good for you, Hendy, blared Gertrude in a swinging middle tone. Chalk it up, chalk it up, children, giggled Jimmy. Millie looked pensively about her with vague disapproval. Her eyebrows were up. It seemed as if anything might happen, as if at any moment they might all begin running in different directions. Cave, my dear brats, be arctic, came Bertha's cool, even tones. Ah, we are observed. No, we are not observed. The observer observeth not. Miriam saw her companions looking across the boulevard. Following their eyes, she found the figure of Pastor Lahman walking swiftly bag in hand in the direction of an opening into a side street. Ah, she cried gaily, voila, monsieur. Courez, mademoiselle. At once she felt that it was cruel to draw attention to mademoiselle when she was dumpy and upset. What a fool I am, she moaned in her mind. Why can't I say the right thing? Ce n'est pas moi, said mademoiselle, qui fait les avances. The group walked on for a moment or two in silence. Bertha Martin was swinging her left foot out across the curb with each step, giving her right heel a little twirl to keep her balance. You are very clever, Bertha, said mademoiselle, still in French, but you will never make a prima ballerina. Hullo, breathed Jimmy. She's perking up. Isn't she? said Miriam, feeling that she was throwing away the last shred of her dignity. What was the matter? she continued, trying to escape from her confusion. Mademoiselle's instant response to her cry at the sight of Pastor Lahman rang in her ears. She blushed to the soles of her feet. How could Mademoiselle misunderstand her insane remark? What did she mean? What did she really think of her? Just kind old Lahman, walking along there in the outside world. She did not want to stop him. He was a sort of kinsman for Mademoiselle. That was what she had meant. Oh, why couldn't she get away from all these girls? Indeed, and again she saw the hurrying figure which had disappeared, leaving the boulevard with its usual effect of a great strange ocean. He could have brought help and comfort to all of them if he had seen them and stopped. Pastor Lahman, Lahman, perhaps she would not see him again. Perhaps he could tell her what she ought to do. Oh, my dear, Jimmy was saying, didn't you know? A fearful row. Mademoiselle's laughter tinkled out from the rear. A row? Fearful. Jimmy's face came round, round-eyed under her white sailor hat that sat slightly tilted on the peak of her hair. What about? Something about a letter or something, or some letters or something, I don't know. Something she took out of the letter-box. It was unlocked or something, and Ulrica saw her and told Lily. Goodness, breathed Miriam. Yes, and Lily had her in her room, and Ulrica and poor little Petite couldn't deny it. Ulrica said she did nothing but cry and cry. She's been crying all the morning, poor little pig. Why did she want to take anything out of the box? Oh, I don't know. There was a fearful row, anyhow. 
Ulrica said Lily talked like a clergyman. Wie ein Pfarrer. I don't know. Ulrica said she was opening a letter. I don't know. But she can't read German or English. I don't know. Ask me another. It is extraordinary. What's extraordinary? asked Bertha from the far side of Jimmy. Petite and that letter. Oh. What did the kitty want? Oh, my dear, don't ask me to explain the peculiarities of the French temperament. Yes, but all the letters in the letter-box would be English or German, as Hendy says. Bertha glanced at Miriam. Miriam flushed. She could not discuss Mademoiselle with two of the girls at once. Rum go, said Bertha. You're right, my son. It's rum. It's all over now, anyhow. There's no accounting for tastes. Poor old Petite. Section 5 Miriam woke in the moonlight. She saw Mademoiselle's face as it had looked at tea-time, pale and cruel, silent and very old. Someone had said that she had been in Fräulein's room again all the afternoon. Fräulein had spoken to her once or twice during tea. She had answered coolly and eagerly, disgusting, like a child that had been whipped and forgiven. How could Fräulein dare to forgive anybody? She lay motionless. The night was cool. The screens had not been moved. She felt that the door was shut. After a while she began in imagination a conversation with Eve. You see, the trouble was, she said, and saw Eve's downcast, believing, admiring, sympathetic face. Fräulein talked to me about manner. She simply wanted me to grimace, simply. You know, be like other people. Eve laughed. Yes, I know. You see, simply. Well, if you wanted to stay, why couldn't you? I simply couldn't. You know how people are. But you can act so splendidly. But you can't keep it up. Why not? Eve, there you are, you see. You always go back. I mean, I think it would be simply lovely. If I were clever like you, I should do it all the time be simply always gushing and charming. Then she reminded Eve of the day they had walked up the lane to the heath, talking over all the manners they would like to have, and how Sarah, suddenly in the middle of supper, had caricatured the one they had chosen. Of course you overdid it, she concluded, and Eve crimsoned and said, Oh, yes, I know it was my fault, but you could have begun all over again in Germany and been quite different. Yes, I know, I thought about that. But if you knew as much of the world as I do, Eve stared, showing a faint resentment. Miriam thought of Eve's many suitors, of her six months' betrothal, of her lifelong peacemaking, her experiment in being governess to the two children of an artist, a little green-robed boy threatening her with a knife. Yes, but I mean, if you had been about... I know, smiled Eve confidently. You mean if I were you? Go on. I know. Explain, old thing. Well, I mean, of course, if you are a governess in a school, you can't be jolly and charming. You can't be idiotic or anything. I did think about it. Don't tell anybody. But I thought for a little while I might go into a family. One of the girls' families. The German girls. 
and begin having a German manner. Two of the girls asked me. One of them was ill and went away, that Pomeranian one I told you about. Well, then, I didn't tell you about that little one and her sister. They asked me to go to them for the holidays. The youngest said, It was so absurd. You shall marry my brother. He is merchant. Very wealthy. Absurd. Not absurd. You probably would have, away from that school. Do you think so? Yes, you would have been a regular German, fat and jolly and laughing. I know. My dear, I thought about it. You may imagine. I wondered if I ought. Why didn't you try? Why not? Why was she not going to try? Eve would. She was sure in her place. Why not grimace and be very bright and animated until the end of the term and then go and stay with the Bergmans for two months and be as charming as she could? Her heart sank. She imagined a house, everyone kind and blonde and smiling, Emma's big tall brother smiling and joking and liking her. She would laugh and pretend and flirt like the pools and make up to him, and it would be lovely for a little while. Then she would offend someone. She would offend everyone but Emma. And get tired and cross and lose her temper. Stare at them all as they said the things everybody said. The things she hated. And she would sit glowering. And suddenly refuse to allow the women to be familiar with her. She tried to see the brother more clearly. She looked at the screen. The Bergman's house would be full of German furniture. At the end of a week, every bit of it would reproach her. She tried to imagine him without the house and the family, not talking or joking or pretending, alone and sad, despising his family, needing her. He loved forests and music. He had a great, strong, solid voice, and was strong and sure about everything, and she need never worry any more. Seit ich ihn gesehen, glaub ich blind zu sein. There would be a garden, and German springs and summers and sunsets, and strong kind arms and a shoulder. She would grow so happy. No one would recognize her as the same person. She would wear a band of turquoise blue velvet ribbon round her hair and look at the mountains. No good. She could never get out to that never. She could not pretend long enough. Everything would be at an end long before there was any chance of her turning into a happy German woman. Certainly with a German man she would be angry at once. She thought of the men she had seen, in the streets, in cafes and gardens, the masters in the school, photographs in the girls' albums. They had all offended her at once. Something in their bearing and manner, blind and impudent. She thought of the interview she had witnessed between Ulrich and her cousin, the cousin coming up from the estate in Erfurth, arriving in a carriage, Fräulein's manner, her smiles and hints, Ulrike standing in the saal in her sprigged saffron muslin dress curtsying, with bent head, the cousin's condescending laughing voice, it would never do for her to go into a German home. She must not say anything about the chance of going to the Bergmans, even to Eve, 
she imagined eve sitting listening in the window space in the bow that was carpeted with linoleum to look like parquet flooring beyond them lay the length of the turkey carpet darkening away under the long biscuit box and the large epergne made her feel guilty and shifting guilty from the beginning of things you see eve i thought counting it all up that if i came home it would cost less than going to norderney and that all the expense of my going to germany and coming back is less than what it would have cost to keep me at home for the five months i've been there i wish you'd tell everybody that section six she turned about in bed her head was growing fevered she conjured up a vision of the backs of the books in the bookcase in the dining-room at home iliad and odyssey people going over the sea in boats and someone doing embroidery that little picture of hector and andromaca in the corner of the page he in armor she in a trailing dress holding up her baby both silly she wished she had read more carefully she could not remember anything in lecky or darwin that would tell her what to do hudibras the atomic theory ballads and poems d g rossetti kinglake's crimea palgrave's arabia crimea the crimea florence nightingale a picture somewhere a refined face with cap and strings she must have smiled motley's rise of rise of motley's rise of the dutch republic motley's rise of the dutch republic and the chronicles of the schoenberg cotta family she held to the memory of these two books something was coming from them to her she handled the shiny brown gold-tooled backs of motley's rise and felt the hard graining of the red-bound chronicles there were green trees outside in the moonlight in luther's germany trees and fields and german towns and then holland she breathed more easily her eyes opened serenely tranquil moonlight lay across the room it surprised her like a sudden hand stroking her brow it seemed to feel for her heart if she gave way to it her thoughts would go perhaps she ought to watch it and let her thoughts go it passed over her trouble like her mother did when she said don't go so deeply into everything chicky you must learn to take life as it comes ah eh if i were strong i could show you how to enjoy life delicate little mother running quickly downstairs clearing her throat to sing but mother did not know she had no reasoning power she could not help because she did not know the moonlight was sad and hesitating miriam closed her eyes again luther pinning up that notice on a church door why is luther like a dyspeptic blackbird because the diet of worms did not agree with him and then leaving the notice on the church door and going home to tea coffee some evening meal kata kata happy kata they pinned up that notice on a roman catholic church and all the priests looked at them and behind the priests were torture and dark places luther looking up to god 
saying you couldn't get away from your sins by paying money, standing out in the world, and Kata making the meal at home. Luther was fat and German. Perhaps his face perspired. Eine feste Burg, a firm fortress, a round tower made of old brown bricks, and no windows. No need for Kata to smile. She had been a nun, and then making a lamp-lit meal for Luther in a wooden German house, and Rome waiting to kill them. Darwin had come since then. There were people, distinguished minds, who thought Darwin was true. No God, no creation. The struggle for existence, fighting, fighting, fighting. Everybody groping and fighting. Fräulein. Some said it was true, some not. They could not both be right. It was probably true. Only old-fashioned people thought it was not. It was true. Just that. Monkeys fighting. But who began it? Who made Fräulein? Tough, leathery monkey. Section 7 then nothing matters. Just one little short life. A few more years shall roll. A few more seasons pass. There was a better one than that, not so organ-grindery. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories fade away. Change and decay in all around I see. Wow, 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 whiny, caterwally. Mr. Bruff quoted Milton in a sermon and said he was a materialist. Pater said it was a bold thing to say. Mr. Bruff was a clear-headed man. She couldn't imagine how he stayed in the church. She hoped he hated that sickening, sickening idiot humbug. Eve, meek, with silly long hair divinely smiling. Adam was like a German. English, too. Impudent, bombastic creature. A sort of man who would call his wife, my dear. There was a hymn that even Pater liked. The tune was like a garden in the autumn. Oh, strengthen, stay up, holding all creation. Who ever dost thyself unmoved abide? Thyself unmoved abide, thyself unmoved abide, unmoved abide, unmoved abide, unmoved abide. Flights of shining steps, shallow and very wide, going up and up, and growing fainter and fainter, and far away at the top, a faint old face with great rays shooting out all round it. The picture in the large pilgrim's progress. God in heaven. I belong to Apollyon. A horror with expressionless eyes, darting out little spiky flames. If only it would come now, instead of waiting until the end. She clasped her hands closely one in the other. They felt large and strong. She stopped her thoughts and stared for a long while at the faint light in the room. It's physically impossible, someone had said. 
the only hell thinkable is remorse remorse sighing impatiently she turned about and sighed again breathing deeply and rattling and feeling very hungry there will be breakfast even for me if they knew me they would not give me breakfast no one would i should be in a little room and one after another would come and be reproachful and shocked and then they would go away and be happy and forget sarah would come whatever it was sarah would come she read the bible and marked pieces but she would rush in without saying anything with a red face and bang down a plate of melon what did god do about people like sarah perhaps apollyon could be made to come at once sweeping in like a large bat be torn to bits those men at that college said he had come to them they swore one after the other and the devil came in through one of the carved windows and carried one of them away i have my doubts pater's face laughing i have my doubts oof poof she flung off the outer covering and felt the strong movements of her limbs hang 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 damn if there's no god there's no devil and everything goes on Fräulein goes on having her school what does she really think out in the world people don't think they grimace is there anywhere where there are no people be a gypsy there are always people section eight what a perfect morning what a perfect morning miriam kept telling herself trying to see into the garden there was a bowl of irises on the breakfast table it made everything seem strange there had never been flowers on the table before there was also a great dish of pumpernickel besides the usual food Fräulein had enjoined silence the silence made the impression of the irises stay she hoped it might be a new rule she glanced at Fräulein two or three times she was pallid white her face looked thinner than usual and her eyes larger and keener she did not seem to notice anyone miriam wondered whether she were thinking about cancer her face looked as it had done when once or twice she had said ich bin so banga for krebs she hoped not perhaps it was the problem of evil perhaps she had thought of it when she put the irises on the table she gazed at them half feeling the flummery petals against the palm of her hand Fräulein seemed cancelled there was no need to feel self-conscious she was not thinking of any of them miriam found herself looking at high grey stone basins with ornamental stems like wine-glasses and large square fluted pedestals filled with geraniums and calceolarias they had stood in the sunshine at the corners of the lawn in her grandmother's garden she could remember nothing else but the scent of a greenhouse and its steamy panes over her head lemon thyme and scented geranium how lovely it would be to-day at the end of the day Fräulein would feel happy then 
or did elderly people fear cancer all the time it was a great mistake you should leave things to nature you were more likely to have things if you thought about them but Fräulein would think and worry alone with herself with her great dark eyes and bony forehead and thin pale cheeks always alone and just cancer coming i shall be like that one day an old teacher and cancer coming it was silly to forget all about it and see granny's calceolarias in the sun all that had to come to an end to forget was like putting off repentance those who did not put it off saw when the great waters came a shining figure coming to them through the flood if they did not they were like the man in a nightcap his mouth hanging open no teeth and skinny hands playing cards on his deathbed end of chapter ten part one